So every Sunday that I'm here, man, I'm preaching and, and just giving you everything. And I've recognized, and I know this is just kind of a church thing, but, but I stand up here and preach and you sit and listen to me preach. So I decided to change it up and I brought my chair with me this morning. So I thought, hey, you know, it, it's hard work standing up here this whole time. So no, the real reason for the chair, real reason for the chair is this chair is right at a, a little over actually 10 years old. And so if you, you want to see what an old 10-year-old chair looks like, this is exactly what it looks like. Not bad for 10 years, 10 years old, but, but why it's so important is because this was Becky and I's first piece of furniture that we bought as a couple. And, and it was a big deal to us, and, and we bought this, put it in our one-bedroom apartment after we got back from our honeymoon. We're like, this is perfect. Like, this is life-changing. We're adults. We're buying furniture for fun. We've arrived We've made it because what had been in our living room prior was, you know, we, we had recently gotten out of college, graduated college, so we basically took two dorm rooms and put them in a one-bedroom apartment. And especially for you wives, you know you do not want your husband's old bachelor college room dorm stuff in this new house that you're going to turn into a home, whatever that exactly means. So, man, we, we had to, like, gut a ton of stuff all those things that I'd grown fond of, like my dartboard, the couch that I had all four years of college, and then afterward, you know, those things had to go away. And so we were all excited that we were finally able to get this piece of furniture, this, and a couch that went with it. And we're like, this is it. This is perfect. And you've never sat on something so comfortable outside of getting, or when you get rid of your dorm furniture and you finally get like adult grown-up furniture. It's a big difference. It's life-changing. I remember sitting there just like, oh, Adulting is going to be so good, little did I know, right? <laughs> before kids and before real jobs and everything else that went with it. No, but you come to find out, I mean, no matter how comfy, no, how, no matter how wonderful that new piece of furniture is, how life-changing that piece of furniture is, something always has to happen afterwards. And you know this, it's, it's no secret, you have to eventually get up from it, don't you? <laughs> you have to eventually get up and go to work. You have to eventually get up and go to school. You have to eventually get up and get dressed for the day. You, as much as you might want, because it's so comfortable, it's so wonderful, you love it with all your heart, it's truly changed your life. Maybe some of you don't have the same, the same infatuation as I do with furniture. But at some point, you have to, you have to get up, don't you? And, and what I want us to think through this morning is the life change that we've experienced. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you follow him, if he's your Lord and your Savior, you have experienced life change in the most incredible and radical way. And oftentimes we look at that moment of life change as, oh, I've arrived, I'm done, I've got it, I'm good. Oh, I, just, I get to just relax from here on out through the rest of my life and one day I'll be in heaven, praise God. And then, but that's not the way it really plays out. In fact, we, we have that life-changing moment, but what we see happen afterwards, after that life-change moment, is movement. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. There's nothing wrong with great furniture, unless it keeps you from taking that next step, unless it keeps you from continuing to move forward. We have to be willing to celebrate those moments of life change, but keep looking for what God has for us next. We say it a lot that our story has three parts. I was, then God, now I am. And the I was, who I was before that God moment, before that life change. Then we have what we call the then God moment. We see throughout scripture and in our own lives. And then afterwards. And this morning we're going to look at a guy named Obadiah. I'm sure all of you are very familiar with Obadiah. 
And uh, Obadiah is found in 1 Chronicles. Probably sure you're very familiar with 1 Chronicles. I'm going to give you a whole lot of new stuff this morning. But what we're going to see is Obadiah, what we see leading up to his life change is incredible. And we're going to talk through it. But I want you to really pay attention to what happens afterwards. What happens when he gets to that then God moment? His life is forever changed. But pay attention more to what change happens afterwards. That's what I want us to see. So if you've got your Bible, head over to 1 Chronicles, Old Testament. There's actually two of them, believe it or not. First and Second Chronicles, go to the first one. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And as you're getting there, before we really see the story of Obadiah, we have to back up a little bit because David, King David, you know, David and Goliath, that David, he's actually going to help introduce Obadiah to us. Now, King David is at this point king. Prior to it was King Saul, if you know your story, where Saul was king, wasn't really a great king, started out as a good king, but ended up falling away from God, in fact, pushing God away. So God took care of Saul, raised up David, that shepherd boy. Now he's king, and what we're going to see David trying to do is he's trying to right some wrongs. Things that Saul had done to push God away, David now is the ruler. Under David's reign, he's wanting to, to change some of that. Let's bring God back into the picture. So one of the ways that he's going to do that, we're going to see this in chapter 13, 1 Chronicles 13, starting in verse 3. Here's what David says. He says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul, prior king, his predecessor. Verse 4, the whole assembly, all the people agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Now, we're, we're, we're shown, or at least we read about the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen Indiana Jones, you have a vague idea of what I'm talking about here. It's a box. That's what the Ark is. The Ark is a box that God gave very, very specific instructions on how to make and what to put in it, like the tablets from the Ten Commandments. Those went in it. Very, very intentional, specific instructions. But the real point of the Ark was that when God said, I will be with you, I will dwell among my people, he used the Ark to give that as a reminder it represented God's presence. Granted, we can't put God in a box, and God wasn't going to put himself in a box, but it was that constant reminder for God's people, the Israelites, that anywhere that they went, when they traveled around the desert and they had to carry this big old box, this big old ark, it was a constant reminder that God is with us. No matter what, no matter where we go, he's constantly with us. So this ark had been pushed aside during Saul's reign. In fact, the scripture said that, that we did not inquire of it, David said. It's a nice way of saying we neglected the presence of God. We neglected God. Saul wanted to, he started caring more about himself and his own image, that he pushed God away and actually took the ark and put it in somebody else's house for a season. That season turned into months, that months turned into years and years, until finally David is now king. He says, we need to bring God back into our lives. We need God to be the center of our lives and bring it to the center of our city and the center of our people. So we wanted to bring the ark, bringing God back is what it was going to represent, back to Jerusalem, back to the people so that they could continue to actually follow him. So that's a great idea. Everybody loved that idea. Yes, we need to turn back to God. We need to bring God back into our lives, back into our homes, back into our nation. So he starts to do that. David gets everybody together and this is a big deal. I mean, a huge deal, not just with the army, but with all these different people. Look what it says here, verse 7. It says, they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house. So that's where Saul had put it. it said, they moved the ark from Abinadab's house on a new cart. Now, that's huge. On a new cart. If you're taking notes, I've got a Bible, underline it, highlight it, write down those four words. On a new, what is it? Cart. Half of you understood it. One more time. On a new cart. There you go. 
Now, I know that doesn't seem life-changing, but I promise it's about to be life-changing. On a new cart. He put it on a new cart with Uzzah and Ohio guiding him. David, with all the Israelites, look, we're celebrating with all their might before God, with songs, harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. In other words, everybody is just absolutely excited. They're pumped up about bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, back to God. What had been neglected is now being pulled back home. Verse 9, look at this. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, as they're traveling through from Abinadab's house, trying to get it back to Jerusalem, it says Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. Look at this. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark, so he died there before God. That's a little harsh. I mean, would you agree? I mean, just a little bit harsh. That here, everybody's so excited to bring God back. What had been neglected is now being brought home. God is being a focal point, the center of this entire nation, of God's people, finally, after years and years of being neglected. And David had a great idea. Let's, instead of carrying the ark, let's put it on a new what? Put it on a new cart. That seems like a good idea. Put it on a new cart, but in reality, that became one of his biggest mistakes. Biggest mistakes put it on a new cart, and as that cart started to, to rock and, and go sideways because the oxen stumbled, Uzzah does what, what a good person would probably do. Oh no, I've got to steady it. I don't want it to drop. I, I had a good heart. He had a good motivation for trying to keep the ark from falling, yet God said, eh, terrible idea, dead. <laughs> and we, we don't understand. I was like, God, that doesn't make any sense. Now, I could spend an entire time talking about Uzzah and, and that whole story, I promise, that's a whole nother sermon. I've got time for one sermon, not two this morning. So it's a great thing to study. I would love to talk with you about it if you've got other questions. But it's a great story. And there's a lot of behind the scenes on why God did what he did and the, the consequence of that. But what we want to see is why that was such a big mistake. He put it on a what kind of cart was it? What kind of cart was it? A new one. David had a great idea. You see, in the book of Numbers and even in Exodus, when the ark was being built, like I said, God gave very specific instructions on how this ark was to be built, but also specific instructions on how it's to be cared for, how it's to be moved. I mean, this is the presence of God. This is what would stay in what we call the Holy of Holies, the, the most inner part of the tabernacle and the tent, where God's presence filled up that only a few people were allowed to be in at a time. It's a big deal. And here, David is thinking, that's a really heavy box. Instead of us carrying it, I have a brilliant idea. And this idea of a new cart is going to make life, what do you think? Easier. It's a whole lot easier to put it on a cart. Stick it on the back of the trailer. Let's just go. Instead of following God's plan for it. See, the plan that God had for it, the instructions he had for the ark, was that they would have poles on the side, special made poles, and then you would have the Levites that were the priests. They would hold the pole, not the ark, but the pole, and they would have to carry it on foot anywhere that they went. That was God's instructions to them. And here, David's thinking, man, we're excited to bring God back, but that's a long trip. That's a lot of work. Let's just, there's a shortcut. There's a good idea around here somewhere that will, again, make life easier. Let's just put it on the back of a cart and be done with it. Here's why that was such a big deal and why it was one of David's biggest mistakes, is God's presence was never intended to be carried on a cart. God's presence was always intended to be carried by us, always carried by people. In the Old Testament, that meant these Levite priests literally carrying this box that represented God's presence around. For us today, we don't have an ark, 
But what we do have is God living in us. Here's what Ephesians says. Here's, a, here's what it speaks to now. Ephesians 3.17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, Bible times or today's times, God always intended his presence to be carried by us, to dwell among us and be carried by us. But it's not easier. It's a whole lot easier to just sit and say, lad, just put it on the cart. That'll take care of it. Even now for us, it's, well, I know God lives in me and I've heard that whole be the hands and feet of Jesus thing, but someone else I'm sure will take care of this. My life has already changed. I'm, sur I'm sure the church, the, the pastor works a half day and he does it just twice at 9.30 and 11. Surely he can take care of it, right? I do work during the week, just if you were wondering. <laughs> Some. But it's like, surely somebody else will take care of that. That's not really my problem. They'll hey, we all have to go through our ups and downs. They'll work it out. Or here's my favorite, I'll pray for you. You have to say it like that too, because that sounds more sincere. And I'm not, I'm not saying any of that is wrong. We should do all of that. But it's very easy to have your life changed and then just watch life go by. Instead of having your life changed and saying, no, no, I have the presence of God in me. What am I going to do to be involved and to remain active in the people and the world and the community around me? David tried to, tried to bypass all of that. Let's just put God's presence on a cart and let's be done with it and let's move on with it. Instead of always allowing God's presence to be carried by people. So that was his big mistake. Oftentimes it's our mistake as well. So David had this great idea that turned into a terrible idea very quickly. Uzzah tries to stop this whole thing. He dies. Now David is like, you've got to be kidding me. Imagine the mood change, the vibe change of, yay, we're bringing God back to Jerusalem. To Whoa, <laughs> don't touch that box. Whatever you do, stay away from it. Don't touch it. That's what happens when you touch it. Look at what happens with David. His personal mood even changes. Verse 11, after this happened, it says, so he died there before God. Verse 11, then David was, what's it say on the screen? angry. Of course he would be angry. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Pered Uzzah. He's angry because he doesn't understand. God, how could you? God, why did you? Right, we've said that before. We get angry at God. We get angry with God because of the circumstance, because of the situation. It doesn't matter whether it was our fault or not. God, we're still mad at you for it. But it quickly changes, which it does in our lives as well. He goes from being angry to verse 12. Now David was afraid of God. He was afraid. Went from being angry at God to now just afraid of God. It says David was afraid of God that day and asked, how could I ever bring the ark of God to me? So he did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of, here he is, we finally get to meet him, Obadiah the Gittite. Understand the, the process by which David walked part of his story. He recognized that God had been neglected, said we need to bring God back into our home, back into our lives, back into the center of our city. And they were all excited to do that, cheering and dancing and praising God, and then something happened. And now it changed from excitement and joy to anger and fear. And in those moments of anger and fear, we really have two paths we can begin to walk. We either take a step back or we take a step in. This is really all you can do in the moments of angry, of being angry at God especially and being fearful. We take a step back or we take a step in. David took a step back, didn't he? One of the biggest words we could catch is that word instead. David was angry. David was afraid. Instead, he did not take it with him. He took it to the house of Obadiah. 
How often in our anger and in our fear do we instead do something else? Hey, I was with God, I was following God, I was, I was right in line, but then something happened and anger and fear crept in and now we changed our mind and we're, you know what, instead I'm going to let somebody else take care of it. Instead I'm going to back off. Instead, God, I'm going to let you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing and this is, this is my life without you now. Because that's really what David is doing. He was bringing God into his life and the life of his people. And because of what happened, he said, nope, nope, I don't want you near me now, God. You were going to be in, in my house. You were going to be in the temple in Jerusalem where you're supposed to be. But after this whole thing, no, 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 you're going somewhere else. David's anger and fear caused him to push God away instead of allowing him to be drawn closer to God. Because understand, we can make that choice. In the midst of anger and fear, when life doesn't go our way, when we don't understand, we can take a step in and recognize, God, I need you more than ever right now. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I don't understand, but I need you to walk with me on this one. David could have leaned in. So what does your anger and fear do? Does your anger and fear cause you to push God away? Does it cause you to pull closer to God? David was excited to bring God back into his life. He made a mistake, didn't like the consequences, didn't like the road that he was now on, so pushed God away and gave, it, gave God's presence, sent the ark to Obadiah's house. Now, we don't see this exactly in Scripture, but I have to make an assumption here. We don't know anything about Obadiah prior to this point, scripturally. We don't know where he came from, who he really was, other than it's Obadiah the Gittite. But we have to make the assumption that Obadiah was at least known by David but either known very little or not liked at all by David. Because who looks at somebody and says, hey, this box just killed somebody, would you hold on to it for a little bit? Like that's something you offer to your in-laws. Like, hey, <laughs> we were on our way home, buddy of mine touched it, died, don't really want it in my house, could you just keep it safe for a little bit? No, no, I'm sure it'll be, I think that was a one-time thing, don't worry about it, but I would suggest putting it out of reach of the kids. Right? Just, you know what, in fact, maybe just don't, just don't put it someplace where you'll bump into it. Maybe if you want to make a little barricade around it, that would probably be a good idea. Who do you have to be to be told, here you go? So King David shows up to Obadiah's house and he's like, hey, we're going to let this stay here just for a little bit. Watch out for it. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. Don't bump into it. Watch out. See the guy on the cart? Yeah, yeah, he touched it. <laughs> so we don't know anything about him other than David probably didn't know much of him or didn't think much of him. But it stays in Obadiah's house for a little bit. Look at what happens after the ark representing God's presence is with him. Verse 14. The ark of God remained with the family of Obadiah in his house for three months. And look what happens. And the Lord blessed his household and everything in it. Everything in it. His entire household, meaning the people, the relatives, the people of this man's household, but not just there, God kept going and everything in it. Now, we don't know what the everything is, but I'm assuming that's everything that he was part of, whether it's job or other relationships, whether it was finance, we don't know. But all it says is it was that the Lord blessed his household, the people of it, and everything he had. Now, you would imagine if you're Obadiah and David shows up, hey, hold on to this, but don't touch it for a few months or who knows how long, that you, you say yes, but all of a sudden, you've got this big, massive box you can't touch now in your house. So you've got to move some things around, don't you? You've got to rearrange some things. All the furniture that you had probably is not going to fit anymore. 
So you gotta give away some things, you gotta sell some things, you gotta rearrange. That, in, that man's entire life was rearranged by welcoming God into his life. Man, I hope that hits home. When we welcome God into our life, he's constantly asking, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. And when we say yes, man, he moves in immediately. It's not conditional. But you're gonna quickly find, if you haven't already, that things must move around. We can't just sit here, welcome God in and say, well, I just find a spot over there and hang out there. I'm, I'm sure you'll find some room. No, God is a jealous God, scripture tells us. He wants all of us. We've got to rearrange. We have to make room when he moves in. Jesus, no doubt, is the only way that your life will change. But there are some things that we can do to begin that process and to spur that process on. If you want to see things change, start changing some things up. Just start somewhere. Start making some room for him. When we had our first kid, Connor, when he first moved into my house, let's be very clear, he moved into my house. Within a week, it was no longer my house, was it? So then we had a second kid thinking, all right, for, let, let, me, let me try this again. All right, Cole, you're welcome into my house. That one didn't work either. The third one, she moved into my house. I lost that battle before we even began practically. Right, everything changed, right? My office no longer was my office. It was a playroom, right? I could no longer easily put anything into an outlet because I had some kind of adult-proof plastic over top of it, right? You could bounce off of the walls because of all the child-proofing. I no longer had a garage either. I had storage for all the kids' stuff. Everything changes. It rearranges when you welcome God into your home. Don't resist it. Work with it. So here's some ways that you could begin to do that. Groups, so we've been talking about groups. Well, I don't think I have enough time for groups. You're right. I know you don't have enough time for groups. In our lives, we can either add or subtract. That's all we can really control. Are we gonna add something to our lives or are we gonna take something out of our lives? If you think it's gonna be helpful and beneficial to add groups to your life, then yes, I recognize and understand you're gonna have to take something out of your life to have time for it and make room. I get that. Well, what about like volunteering? And I'm not just talking church. I'm talking about the community that you're part of, the things that you have a heart and a desire and a passion for. Man, I think it would be great. I, I really would love to volunteer. I'd really love to be involved with my kids' school and all this, but man, I just have a lot of, yes, I know you have a lot ofs. If you want to add something, you have to be willing to take something out. That's honestly the, the idea behind spiritual fasting. You read about fasting or you hear about fasting. We don't like to preach on fasting. No, 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 you don't want to see a hangry preacher. But, but the idea of fasting is just that. You remove something temporarily so that you can add more focus. It's not that God hears the prayers of a hungry person a lot more than he does a full person. No. It's I removed something that gave me more time and allowed me to have more focus and I can pay attention a little bit more. I'm hearing God better now. So yes, if you want to add something, if you want to make room, that means you're going to have to rearrange and move some things around. Now that brings it up, this up to Obadiah's life change moment. The moment God moved into his home. Changed everything. But remember I said, it's not just the process leading up to it. I want us to pay attention to what happens afterwards, afterwards. So God's ark was in his home. Do you remember how long it was? How many months? Three months. And in that three months, guess who heard about all the wonderful blessings Obadiah had in his house? David. He says, huh, maybe we should go get that back, <laughs> which he does. After three months of hearing stories after stories of what's going on in Obadiah's household and everything that he touches, he says, Maybe we should bring God back. So he goes, and same type of a thing, gets the whole processional, and they start bringing the ark back. They show up at Obadiah's house, the man where it's ready. They did not do a cart this time. David learned his lesson. They had the Levi priest there ready with the poles, and now Obadiah had a choice. He had a choice. 
man, that was the best three months of my life. That was awesome. Or I got to go with him. And what we see, up until this moment, we have never heard of Obadiah at all until this moment. Now, all of a sudden, his name starts popping up time and time again. You don't have to turn there, but just a couple chapters later, that was chapter 13, verse 15, you start to see Obadiah's name pop up here in verse 18, in verse 21, in verse 24, all the way over in chapter 16, in verse 37, 38, and 39, through 1 Chronicles, we even see this in 2 Samuel, his name starts popping up. And it's not just popping up to talk about the good old days of the three months that he had with God in his home. No, it's talking about what Obadiah is now doing. What he gave his life to after his life was changed. Like I said, some of those verses, he gets uh, in verse 18 out of chapter 15. He becomes a worship leader for the people worshiping God. Don't know if the guy can see or not, but he says, I just need to do something. In verse 21, it says that he plays the harp. It's a good place to start, worship leading and harps. It's always a good spot to start when your new life. And verse 24 says that they were doorkeepers for the ark. If you keep going in chapter 16, it says that they, they were gatekeepers for the ark. In other words, he's saying, what can I do to be close to God? What can I do to not sit here, but not to stay put, but to move and just be around him? His life was obviously changed because he didn't have a life without God at this point. He says, let me be right there next to it. So he leaves his home and he, he travels with the ark. He's part of that group. And even when the ark finds its place in Jerusalem, he stays as, door, as a doorkeeper and as a gatekeeper. He keeps going. He doesn't stay put. But it doesn't end there if you keep going. Chapter 26, it talks about the gatekeepers. And as the gatekeeper, Odadim was a gatekeeper, and so were his sons. And it starts to list all the people that were gatekeepers and all that they did, all of his eight sons. It says, for God had blessed Obadiah. Then verse 8, it says, all of these were descendants of Obadiah. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Look, descendants of Obadiah, 62 in all. Here's why that's significant. He could have been an incredible storyteller. Man, tell the kids and the grandkids, man, let me tell you what it was like having the ark of God in my house for three months and all that God did. And story after story after story of all that God did. It would have been a great story to tell the grandkids. Instead of telling stories, he led them. He had 62 descendants that scripture tells us about that were in the service of God. Serving God just like he did. It wasn't just about him at this point. It was about leading his family in that direction. There's an unfortunate truth in life, a reality, that is we cannot change people. As much as we want to change someone else, as much as I would love to change someone, to guarantee their change, to, to make sure my kids turned out a certain way, or to make sure that an employee or employer would be a certain way. I mean, there's things that we would love to change in people's lives, and we cannot do that. That is not up to us. We cannot change people. We can lead people. We can lead people to the one who can change them. That's Jesus. And Obadiah believed that with all of his heart. Because of the life change he experienced, he couldn't stay put. He got up and got involved in whatever he could. It was like he was at church and just filled everything out on the communication card. Da, 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 da. I get those every now and then. I'm like, man, you're like on fire for God or super bored. I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> he was in that kind of a place with God. And it wasn't just about him anymore. It was about his family and the people around him. You got to know what I know. You got to feel what I feel. You got to have what I have. So he led his 
sons. He led all of his relatives. Scripture tells us 62, and they were all in the service of God because of his leadership. We cannot change people, but we most certainly can lead them. So are you leading people? Because I'm telling you, you cannot lead from the couch. You can watch life from the couch, and this is the perfect spot for a spectator. Perfect spot for a spectator. In the comfort of your own home, you get to mute when you want to mute, you fast forward when you want to fast forward. Everything in the comfort of your environment. In other words, the world revolves around you. But you're also watching life go by. You cannot lead from here. And yes, you can experience life change and stay here, but you don't continue to live life. You can have life change and not live. Life change is meant to be lived afterwards. You say yes to Jesus, your life is radically changed, just like Obadiah, but then you really get going. Now the fun begins, now the work begins, now the hard part starts. Oh, but there's so great rewards on the other end of that. The lives that you see changed. Not that I change, but I get the pleasure of seeing changed because I was used by him, because I led other people to the foot of the person that most certainly can change their life. Jesus even speaks to this as well. He uses different words, but the words that he uses, many of you are familiar with, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, oh, there's that word again, remember? We saw that with David. Because of his anger, because of his fear, instead he had the ark go live with Obadiah. Because of anger, because of fear, instead changed in a negative way. Here we see it changed in the most positive way possible. It says, instead, those with the light, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When Obadiah was serving as gatekeeper and worship leader and door and all these other things, it was obviously something's different. Something's been changed in me because of God. Let people see that. Not to say, wow, how great I am and how great he and she is, but it's, I want what they've got. What is so radically different in their lives that they are living and I don't feel like I'm living fully yet. Jesus says, let your light shine. Let people see the good deeds that you're doing so that they're directed toward Jesus. So that it points to God. So the simple question is, are you okay having your life changed and watching life go by or are you ready to get moving are you ready to get started allow Jesus to change your life let him use you in the life of other people to experience life and life to the full it's a dark world and it's easy to get overwhelmed but where do I start there's so many problems there's so many needs I, I only have so much time I'm like yeah totally I get it start with one you have to first start by getting up and saying, well, what's that one person? Where's that one place? What's that one problem, that one need, that one passion I have? Start there. Just a moment, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and prayer is simply this. God, because you changed my life, I will, and then you get to fill in the blank. We've heard that phrase, most likely you've heard it at least, the you're the light of the world. That doesn't really have legs at this point. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I'm the light of the world. Yeah, but what are you actually showing, right? That's the purpose of a light, is to light something up, to push out the darkness. So what does that mean for you in your circumstance, in your situation, with your family, with where you go to school, where you step on campus, where you go to work? Make that super specific. 
God, you changed my life. Now I will what? Now I will. I'll be a light to those around me. I'll be like Obadiah, and I won't be able to sit still, but I'll do whatever I can, lead whoever I can, so they get a glimpse of what I've got. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for changing our lives, those of us that call you Lord and Savior. And God, I would pray that if there's someone in here this morning that has not made that most important first step life change of saying yes to you, just as Obadiah welcomes you into his home, God, I pray that, that anyone here that hasn't yet would invite you into their life. You've already said, I want in. Now we just have to say yes and open our hearts. It begins there. It most certainly doesn't end there. It begins there. But may we not get too comfortable. May we not stay put. May we not be able to stay put, but to be ready to go, to be mobilized and used by you to shine our light for all to see. Not so we take credit, not so that we get accolades and our status increases, but so people are pointed to you in our families and in our communities and with everybody that we come in contact with. God, you have changed my life. Now may my light shine for all to see so that they may see you. In Jesus' name, amen.